millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Lisbon Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Season 3 premiere of the Unplayable Podcast. Thank you for listening. Sam Ferris here with Callum Kononyuk on the line from Melbourne to preview Australia's five-match ODI Qantas Tour of England. Callum, the cricket is back and so are we. Huge. Uh, Season 3, always the hardest, I think. Um, Season 2, you can kind of get away with some new stuff. Season 3, where the pressure is really on. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, Sam. Well, I'm going to start Season 3, Cal, with an early apology. I've come down with a bit of a cold, so I'm sorry. If I'm a tad more nasally than normal, Cal, I'm sick on a Tuesday. What are the odds? A thousand to one? Uh, I'm not too sure. I haven't checked the latest market, but um, perhaps it will help the punters differentiate our two voices. Perhaps. Maybe. Probably not. We can only hope so. Now, Cal, a lot has happened since we last spoke. We've got a new coach, Justin Langer, new broadcast partners in Fox Sports and Channel 7. The CEO has resigned, given 12 months' notice, James Sutherland. We've got blokes playing in Canada, Steve Smith and David Warner, and then Darwin. Cameron Bancroft and Warner's going to go up there as well. But probably the most important one is that we've lost the doc. We don't know where he is. Do you know where he is? Well, it's funny you say that. I've heard some whispers from my sources in England, and um, there have been some doc sightings. I'm just going to just going to leave it at that for now. Uh, but there have been some doc sightings in the UK. Uh, more to come on that. Let's just hope the little fellow's all right. He doesn't do too well when he's out in the sun for too long. So, Doc, if you can hear this somehow, mate, get some shade, get some sheltered. Drink some water, mate, and stay away from the cafe lattes. So on today's episode, we're going to preview Australia's ODI Tour of England. We're going to bring you up to speed with the Aboriginal 11 Tour of the UK, and we're going to finish the show with Play It or Leave It. Uh, Cal, how you been seeing them lately? Um, reasonably well. Uh, I found your little recap there before um, quite handy. Uh, you know, been a lot happening, as you say, and now actually back into it, back into the action, and uh, the men's team... There's been a lot spoken about what this new era is going to look like, and now we actually get to see it in action with this ODI series. So I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely. We're going to start with a comprehensive wrap from your journalist on the ground, Dave Middleton. Uh, He's been over there since the time the Aussies arrived. Here's Dave's UK report. Australia head into Wednesday's first ODI against England full of confidence and with an unusually long lead-up for a one-day tour. A new-look Australia side have been in Europe for a fortnight before they face England at the Oval making the most of a relaxed schedule with a team-bonding tour of Aussie battlefields from the First World War. It appears to have had a galvanising effect on this group of young men, putting the trials and tribulations of cricket into sharp perspective. New coach Justin Langer has been quick to impose his presence. Training is sharper and more involved, the sessions longer and more intense. The players will be fitter, and there's a strong emphasis on being able to run hard between the wickets and in the field. But there's a relaxed energy about the group, and dare I say it, a quiet confidence. On the field, they've played two matches against county opposition, winning both. They first travelled to England's south coast to face Sussex, the Jason Gillespie coach side. They started fast as Aaron Finch and Darcy Short raced out of the blocks, before a worrying middle-order collapse against spin 
that saw them lose four for 13 in five overs. But they recovered thanks to a brilliant century from Marcus Stoinis, who seems ready to make the number three position his own. His innings of 110 in as many balls helped the Aussies reach 277. For a time, it looked like Sussex might chase that down. The Aussies copped an early hammering, but stuck to their guns. Kane Richardson got the breakthrough, and AJ Ty delved into his bag of tricks to drag the run rate back, conceding only three per over. Ashton Agar showed why he's now the country's number one white ball spinner, picking up three wickets and bowling with clever variations of pace and flight. The Aussies claimed a 57-run win, and it was on to Lords and Middlesex. This time it was Travis Head's turn to impress with the bat, making a bold statement with a century as opener. Aaron Finch came in at number five in this match and promptly biffed his way to a half-century, his second of the tour. Intriguingly, Justin Langer later spoke glowingly of how Finch controlled the middle overs, adding some firepower and gumption to the Aussie innings that has looked sorely lacking in the recent past. Finch has opened in every single one of his 88 previous ODIs, but this is a new Australia and perhaps a new role for the Aussie vice-captain. There were runs too for Sean Marsh, 49 of them, and he looks set to take a spot in the middle order. The man out of form, however, is Glenn Maxwell, though you wouldn't know it from the way he's been smacking everyone to all parts in the net sessions. But that has not translated to runs in the middle, with only three runs from two innings, and again, a question mark over his spot in the side. The Aussies hit 283 at Lord's, and the bowlers were vastly improved. Billy Stanlake returned from the broken digit he suffered in the IPL, bowling with raw pace and sending stumps cartwheeling. Michael Nessa impressed again with three wickets in the two matches and could be an ODI bolter, while the deceptively quick youngster Jai Richardson has also turned heads. The Aussies had a final training session at the Oval, where they were joined by none other than the great Ricky Ponting. Captain Tim Payne said Ponting's presence made everyone walk that little bit taller and batters were queuing up at the net sessions to work with the Aussie legend. This shapes as a potentially fantastic series. England have come into this match on the back of a shock loss, having been beaten by Scotland. England are without Ben Stokes and Chris Wokes, and their bowling unit gave up 370 against the Scots. But Johnny Bairstow was in some sort of form, blasting a whirlwind century, striking at nearly 200. But they lost regular wickets and the world number one England could not close out the game against the 13th-ranked Scotland. Was that a blip, or are England on a downward trend? The Aussies are certainly up and about, setting the scene for a must-watch opener at the Oval on Wednesday. Big effort there from Dave to recap everything that's gone on over there in England. Uh, some interesting notes there. First of all, JL, the new coach, Apparently the pre-seasons back in the Wacker days were gruelling and no one really wanted to turn up for them. And now it looks like he's taken that to the national setup. That's right, yeah. Some of the stories you heard out of the WA camp um, in their off-season and, and leading up into the one-day cups and Sheffield Shield, etc. But yeah, those sessions, as you say, were, were gruelling. Um, so, you know, with, with this national team, you don't really get an opportunity to have that proper pre-season. It's quite rare. But, you know, as Dave, I mentioned as well that this really strong lead into the ODI series that they have, um, obviously a lot of it is around cultural stuff, trying to bring these a lot of these new guys and, and younger guys together. But it's also a chance to you know get some actual proper physical preparation into them. So 
you know, you can imagine JL running them into the ground. Um, and, you know, I don't think fitness will be a factor for this new Australian team. Yeah, I always think preparation is underrated these days. I reckon that the team that has the better preparation tends to go better, especially early on in this series. You look back even to Australia's Tour South Africa, they had a better lead-in than the Proteus who were playing limited overs games, and they took that first test before the Proteus bounced back and took the next three. Even the test series in England, England versus Pakistan. Pakistan had that giant lead-up. They played a test match against Ireland. England came off some just some county games and they got beaten that first test and bounced back in the second test. Now, Australia have a really big lead-in. Uh, they played two uh, county games, two tour games. England, just the one against Scotland. They got beat. So it's interesting to see how this first game goes and what will be interesting is see how the Australian batting order lines up. Aaron Finch has been in the middle. He did it for the T20 stuff to allow Short and Warner in that team earlier in the year. How do you think JL and the Australian team are going to put that that batting order together for that first one day at the Oval? Yeah, I think it's probably one of the big question marks heading into that first ODI, first ODI is what the Aussies actually do with that top order. We saw some different variations in the two warm-up matches um, that the Australians have played over there. Uh, one with Finch at the top of the order and you know, he, he performed well there, and then he goes back to five, I think, against Middlesex, and he gets another half century there. So he kind of has shown that he can do it in both positions. So do they go with short and head at the top of the order? You would think Stoinis slots back in there after a really strong performance in that opening two again. He slots in at three. Um, and then from there, it's kind of like, what, what, what do you go? Do you, you know, do you chuck Maxi up at four? Sean Marsh is in there as well. Um, where do you then slot Finch in to kind of give that middle order counter-punch almost, you know, leading into those final overs, the final 10 overs are so important in ODI cricket. You know, Ashton Agar, does he bat the top seven? Where does Payne, is he kind of, you know, almost a floater? You know, there's just so many questions as to what they actually do with this batting order. And they got Michael Neese there at, at eight there in that game against Middlesex, and he scored one of the most impressive JLT one-day cup hundreds I think anyone's ever seen, especially one of the fastest against um, against WA at Dremoyne Oval. So he's no mug with a bat either. There's a lot of talent there. It's just trying to fit it together. What do you reckon about Nisa? Is he a chance to play that first one day? He's a late call-up after Josh Hayeswood was ruled out with a back injury. Can you see him playing maybe in that first game? I think he can. You hear a lot of players um, talk about Nisa, and you know he's not a massive superstar. He's not a massive name. He's not... Um, kind of that rising star that everyone's keeping on with, that he's just one of those blokes who gets the job done. I think he's, you know, a real cricketer's cricketer. Everyone who plays against him, and especially those who play with him, really rate him highly. He can do it with the ball. He gets a lot of movement through the air. Um, you know, everyone's kind of seen those um, clips from the Sheffield Shield with the Duke's ball where he's got them hooping around corners. Um, and then, as you say, he can also do it with the bat. So to have someone like him coming in later in the order... You know, it really gives you that option to um, explode, even if you've lost, you know, six or seven wickets. You can have someone who can still do it out there in the middle with the bat. So he's a real option. Um, you know, it, it just comes back to how they make up this 11 for the first ODI. Do they, you know, back in the three other quicks in Tyre, Richardson and Stanlake? Agar's going to be there. He's really improved with the ball. So it's just, yeah, it's just a lot of question marks as to how they go with this composition of the 11. You know, two Richardsons to choose from, Kane and John. They've also got Nathan Lyon on the sidelines. Doesn't sound like he's going to play in the first one day, but when the wicket is spinning, they'll look to play two spinners. I wonder what kind of impact Nathan Lyon's going to have over there. Well, I mean, even if he doesn't play, he's going to have an impact. He's that real senior guy now, and you hear Ashton Agar talk over there, and 
he's just been pissing his brain non-stop to try and get some tips from, you know, a guy who is quite literally Australia's greatest ever off spinner in the test <laughs> arena. So you'd be silly not to um, try and get some tips over there. So, you know, I think he can have an impact even off the field. And, you know, as we're going to keep talking about it, but this new Australian men's cricket team era, you know, to have someone like that who can, you know, really give some tips and really, I guess, drive this new culture that people are talking about. But um, I think that's really important to have a guy like that around there, even if, you know, he doesn't bomb a ball in this ODI series. How much was made about the way the Australians played against England in that one-day series at the back end of the Ashes? England came out ultra-aggressive, blew Australia off the park, 1-4-1. One, one. A, a lot of people were saying that Australia need to replicate the way that England are playing. When JL got asked about that, he said, no, we're going to play the Australian way. What's the Australian way? Are they going to play ultra-aggressive? Are they going to look to build a total of, of 350-plus every, every game, or is it adapting the condition? What do you think JL means by that? I'm not too sure what JL means. Um, he can be uh, intriguing at the best of times, JL, with his um, press conferences and the like. But, you know, I think the way the game is heading and has already headed is that you need to score massive totals with the bat. Like you just you can't survive um, in this day and age in one-day cricket, you know, scoring 250, really, especially in England where, you know, we've seen the past few years of scoring has been through the roof. So, yeah. Whatever that whatever that Australian way is as to how they actually do it, um, you know, remains to be seen. But they need to to score big. You know, it's, it's as simple as that. So they need attacking players. They need dynamic players who can uh, accelerate. You know, we want to talk about gears. So players, you know, in that middle order who can go both ways. So if they're early wickets, they can kind of consolidate and then accelerate later. Or you know, guys who can just go bang straight from the first ball. I think that's what they're looking for. And, that's what they're trying to find with this Australian way, whatever that really means. Yeah, I think what in, in the lead-up to the 2015 World Cup, the plan was always to get to the 35th over and try and score 125 runs off the last 15 with seven or eight wickets in the bank. Now it's just helpful leather from ball one. People weren't taking advantage of that early power play as much as they used to back in the day when it was the first 15 overs. Now it seems like you've just got to take on the ball at all times. I and mean, as we've seen, even in that women's game, when the White Ferns scored 490, I mean, they just went for it from ball one. So I guess that's probably what the the English way of going about it is. And all Australia really needed to do is just maybe take on that new ball a little bit more, still conserve wickets, then launch to the back end. And I think that will come into play, um, you know, looking at head and short, potentially opening the batting, two guys who can really attack early, take on those two new balls, make the, most, make the most of the hard new balls. And then also, you know, have an experienced guy like Finch who's been there and done it so often, he can come in later and then really exhilarate, you know, if needed or um, because he is so experienced, he can kind of, you know, perhaps see off a really strong bowling spell if needed. I think that's, um, you know, just that ability to kind of read the situation is what they're looking for and probably why Finch potentially jumps down the order. Cal, it's going to be really hard to fill in the holes left by Steve Smith and David Warner. But there's a lot of talented players in this Australian lineup. Who do you think can stand up and try and do their best, I guess, to fill the holes of Smith and Warner? Yeah, a few people have spoken about it, haven't they, in terms of, you know, they're two really, well, I mean, they're superstar batsmen, there's no doubt about it. But it also gives opportunities to these guys who perhaps haven't had that opportunity to um, either A, you know, get a consistent game in this one-day team, or B, have a really strong role in terms of, you know, being almost the number one guy. And you look at someone like Marcus Stoinis, you know, this is an opportunity for him to make 
that number three spot his own. Everyone knows how talented he is in terms of his power hitting ability and also the handy medium pace. But, you know, now he's got a real opportunity to say, no, nah, I'm the number three for Australia. I can make this my own. And, and you know, you've got 12 months really to this World Cup and that's what it's all leading to. Um, so, and then the other intriguing factor is that the two guys we've spoken about, Smith and Warner, will be available for that World Cup. So, yeah. you know, the, the ideal situation is that you make their return almost as hard as possible because guys are in so good a form. That's going to be, that is interesting. That's going to be tough to see uh, who does play in that World Cup uh, because not only Warner and Smith are out of this, this side, but there's no Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, or Mitch Marsh. You know, 12 months ago, those guys, they're six starters. They're six call ups straight away. So it's half the team missing, maybe from their full strength side. Cal, how many of this squad that's playing in England at the moment, how many do you see going over? to the World Cup uh, in a year's time? Well, I think if we learnt anything from South Africa's fans is that uh, you can't look too far ahead because <laughs> things can change very, very quickly. Um, you know, you, you even go back to that T20 tri-series at the start of the year when, um, because of the overlap, because of certain other factors, uh, they had this bowling attack, which is basically the ODI bowling attack now in terms of Ty, Kane Richardson, um, Big Billy. Hagar... Big Billy, yeah. And they performed so well. And then all of a sudden everyone goes, well, maybe this is our best T20 bowling attack because they had the opportunity. They performed so well. Went through the tournament undefeated. Maybe that's what will happen here. Maybe they'll perform so well that all of a sudden people will say, well, maybe this is our best ODI bowling attack. I think that's where, you know, Justin Langer and the coaching staff will ultimately want to get to, to a point where they've got such good depth that, you know, people are asking questions as to what that best 11 actually looks like. Oh, absolutely! And don't you think it's getting more and more specialised? The teams now, like there's no, there's no um, debate that Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins are three format bowlers and can walk into any team. But if they're focused on red ball cricket, they're going to become better red ball players. And if these guys are focused on limited overs cricket with all the skills and nuances that you need to be to have as a limited overs bowler, that they're going to perform better if they're playing more of it. Maybe this is the start of that real specialisation of the teams, of the formats. Well, you're right. Like, Kane Richardson has really um, nailed in them on that death bowling role, which Australia is so desperate for. Um, someone like AJ Ty with his variations, um, many variations of slow balls. Uh, and then you've got someone like Big Billy Stanlake, who, you know, more so because uh, of his fitness and kind of where his body's at at the moment has really focused on limited overs cricket. You've got these guys who are genuine white ball specialists. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that's kind of where it's heading. And, um, you know, people have spoken about it before, but you know, maybe this is, you know, where Australia is going, which they haven't really done in the past. One last thing that Dave mentioned was the fact that Ricky Ponting was there. He's going to be around the Australian team uh, on that tour uh, to complement his commentary duties. Cal, what must it like for the players to have... The legend is Ricky Ponting around all the time. I think, as uh, as Dave said, everyone stood up a little bit taller when he was around. I mean, it, you couldn't, you wouldn't be able not to, would you, with with Punter there? That's right. Yeah, all the feedback you get from uh, guys who have worked with him, you know, in those T Twenty series, whenever he pops up, um, you know, the players just hang off every word. Even the coaching staff, you know, we all know what uh, Justin Langer is such a big fan of Ricky Ponting. You know, they played together for so long, but he's still such a big fan of him, and I think. You just you can't pass up that opportunity. If Ricky Ponting's around, you sort of just drag him in, don't you? Because he's just got so much knowledge. Um, 
it, the players respect him so much, so they're going to really take in everything he says. Um, so to have him around is huge. You know, what actual impact it has, I've got no idea. But you know, even if it's just as you say, them walking a little bit taller, then you know that's something at least. All right, Cal, we're going to name our players to watch. We're going to name one player from each side. We also want to hear your thoughts. So tweet us in with uh, the hashtag Unplayable Podcast with your player to watch uh, for this uh, one-day series. I'm going to start off. I'm going to go with Big Billy, the towering Queensland quick. I reckon when he gets it right, Cal, there are a few bowlers in Australia who can be more damaging. We saw a little bit of that in the T20 series, but Big Billy, uh, untested, unproven in England. Let's see what he can do over there. I like it. He sent a cartwheel. Uh, he sent a stump cartwheeling in the tour game, and um, we all know how elite that is to watch. So, if players can do that, I'm all for it. In terms of the obvious, Sam, the player that I'm most looking forward to watching, um, and I guess there's a bit of a question mark around his spot given his form in the tour games. But I'm going to go with Glenn Maxwell. We all know what he's capable of. It's just a matter of him being able to produce it, and I'm hoping, hoping that Justin Langer, as a new coach, and Ricky Ponning as um, this sort of consultant, but also as someone Glenn Maxwell really looks up to. I'm hoping they can bring out the best of him because, you know, you look ahead 12 months' time, I feel like Glenn Maxwell's one of those guys you want in your World Cup team because that 2015 tournament here was just so important to be able to score at such a high rate and also in the field. So I'm hoping that he can find some form. Um, so he's my player to watch. I think from memory, that 2015 one-day series after the Ashes, Maxi had a blinder and he had some important big knocks and he also was amazing in the field, some boundary line catches, some awesome catches at Gully. So Glenn Maxwell likes it in England. For England, I'm going to go with Josh Butler, uh, the wicketkeeper batsman. Is there, a, more, is there a, a more electric batsman at the moment, Cal? Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's just one of those guys who can, you know, take the game away from someone in the blink of an eye. Um and whether he's doing that, you know, he's capable of doing that at the top of the order, but he's also capable of doing it, um, you know, later in the innings if he, you know, got that time to do it. So someone like that's just so important. But I'm going to go with, uh, as my England player to watch, Johnny Bairstow. Um, he's in some serious ODI touch at the moment. England may have got rolled by Scotland over the weekend, but you watch some of those highlights, and Johnny Bairstow was middling just about everything wasn't a massive ground out there, but he was just smashing absolutely everything. So to get him early for the Australians would be one of their um, key KPIs, I would have thought. So that's the one I'm looking forward to, that new ball battle against Johnny Bairstow. All right, there we have it. Our players to watch, want to hear yours. Remember, tweet in using the hashtag UnplayablePodcast and let's get a bit of discussion. Oh, maybe we'll see uh, an Ashton Agar, a Marcus Stoinis, a Nisa. Is it Nisa or Nessa Cal? I'm going to go with Nessa. Okay, remember you can catch all these games on 9GEM, the first game on Wednesday night from 10pm. I'm Marcus Stoinis, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. Cal, while the men are over there with the one-day stuff, there's an Aboriginal tour going on uh, to commemorate the 150th anniversary of the 1868 team that travelled England in what is now recognised as the first Australian team to tour internationally. Uh, Dan Christian is the captain of the men's squad and Ash Garner is the skipper of the women's squad. The men have won three of their four matches against counties like Derby, 
Sussex and Surrey along the way, and the MCC as well. While the women, they got off the mark with their first win on Sunday, thanks to a whirlwind century from Gardner. But, Cal, the tour isn't about wins or losses. It's about paying tribute to those pioneers 150 years ago. That's right, Sam, and we've heard um, from quite a few of the players over there, and you hear them speak about the importance of it, and, you know, obviously it's a great cricket tour, and, you know, they're playing some some high-quality opposition, really, in these county sides. So they're getting some actually some good competitive cricket in. But the feedback you get from over there is that, you know, they're just soaking it all up in terms of the cultural significance, um, you know, really learning about what this team went through, um, who they were, who they were representing, and kind of carrying that significance into what they're doing now. So, um, you know, I think it's worth calling out the work of, Cricket Australia's own uh, Paul Stewart and Adam Butch Cassidy over there have done a phenomenal job in terms of relaying that information back home. Um, you know, they recreated a photo over the weekend from that uh, 1868 tour and just, you know, things like that that really bring what was done 150 years ago into um, today's cricket is, uh, I think, nothing short of exceptional and uh, really significant for cricket as a whole as we move forward and you know, try and get some more Indigenous players into those top national teams. Um, you know, someone like Ash Garner scored a ridiculous century over the weekend. Someone like her who can um, be a real ambassador, I guess, and um, be a real inspiration for that next generation coming through, hopefully. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about. It's about respecting the past, but also paving the way for the future. And let's hope we could do get to see more Indigenous Australian cricketers in the future. And you're right about Ash Gardner, Calm. There are a few more exciting players in women's world cricket at the moment than Ash Gardner, is there? Yeah, that's right. She's a bit of a slow start to the series and was probably uh, weighing on her mind, perhaps. But yeah, what she did over the weekend is um, you know, basically what everyone knows she's capable of. So, you know, if she can carry that into uh, a World T20, which is coming up in the Caribbean later this year, then uh, I think the Australian team will be wrapped. There is one more game left on this tour, Calm. It's tonight at Tramp Bridge. Uh, make sure you follow all the action on cricket.com.au on this fantastic initiative by Cricket Australia. And just the way the players and everybody has embraced this tour, let's just hope it's not 150 more years that we see a tour like this, that this becomes uh, a more frequent uh, trip to the UK. And let's hope that we see more Indigenous Australians playing cricket at the highest level. Well, the exciting thing is, Sam, obviously the tour finishes finishes tonight, but Darcy Short um, firming for ODI debut on the Wednesday. He was, of course, originally meant to be on this Aboriginal tour of England. So to really see that flow on effect, um, you know, so quickly, I guess, to see that connection between the two um, is hugely important and, and a massive step forward. I'm Josh Hazelwood. Now it's time for Play It or Leave It. Calm, we're going to finish the show with Play It or Leave It. I can't remember how you went in South Africa with this, but I think you were pretty terrible. Is that fair to say? Uh, I think I got every single one right. So um, yeah, <laughs> I'm we pretty sure that... We won't get to the on that. I actually, I'm pretty sure the doc, MIA, uh, he got more right than you. And the doc thought that <laughs> Glenn Maxwell was, what's he say, the Paul McCartney... Of Australian cricketers, is that what he was? Something like that? Or the Muhammad Ali, I'm not sure. Yeah, that's right. It was very confusing. He is basically reminiscent of the Beatles 
when they landed in America in 1964. That this is guy, a monstrous call. <laughs> that is arguably the biggest call. He what a basically tangent. puts on a show, not just on the field, but off the field. And sometimes he gets in trouble for it. <laughs> just Sam. like John Lennon did in 1964. Okay, we're going to start. So we've got six for you, Cal. Uh, lots of runs scored in this series, we think, with two pretty impressive bowling, uh, batting lineups. Uh, I looked at, through the records of the past four bilateral series of these teams and there hasn't been a lot of centuries scored so I'm going to put it to you that there'll be three or more centuries scored in this series that is an absolute lock Sam lock that one in um, flat tracks there's going to be huge scores and players will be cashing in left right and centre that's a lock I'm going early with my lock you're playing oh, you're locking you're playing it and you're locking it yeah play it and lock it alright all uh, number two then there's a letter the rest are all just arbitrary then I guess uh 400-plus total will be scored. 400 is a lot of runs. No, gonna, yeah, it's a lot of runs. I'm going to leave it. Um, we've seen uh, the New Zealand women's team over there belting 400-plus scores non-stop. But, um, yeah, I don't think it'll happen in this series. There'll be big runs, but I'm thinking more, yeah, 350 to 360 as opposed to your 400. All right, the past three one-day series between these sides. The league run scorer has scored 282, 278 and 275 runs respectively. Cal, a batsman will top that. Someone will make 300 runs or more in this series. 300? Oh, geez, that seems... Um, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that. I think someone will nudge it, but will someone have to be in some serious touch to get 300, I reckon. What do you reckon? 300? I'm playing that one. Yeah, I, I absolutely think so. I think it might be your man, Besto, who might just do that. Ooh. Oh, okay. Think okay. about it. You just, need one, you just need one big score and then another big 50, a half century, and then you can just noodle around for a couple of little ones and then 300. But 300 is a lot. That would be a lot. But I'm, play, I'm playing it. How easy is cricket? You just make cricket sound so simple. Just score 100, then a 50, and then a few little scores. That's right. Just make 300. Easy. Uh, what a simple game. Yep. Okay, bowling. More than five dismissals to Andrew Ty's knuckleball, the revolutionary knuckleball, which I uh, was speaking to Elisa Stalaker, the Unplayable Podcast's very own Elisa uh, Stalaker, and she was over there in India for the IPL commentating, and she was saying that everybody is doing the knuckleball now. So Andrew Ty, yeah. one of the pioneers of the knuckleball, five or more wickets uh, will come his way through that delivery. No, I'm going to leave it. I think you'll have some success with it over there, but... Five dismissals seems like a lot with one particular variation. We know he's got so many. I'm going to leave it. I'd play I love it. AJ, I, I, I would play. I would play that one if I was you. I'm just saying. Oh, if I was you, I would play that one. Later, well, later in the innings, he'd just be lobbing them up there. They'll be trying to hit him at the small grounds. The guys, will, the, the batsmen, will get a little bit hungry. I think they can clear the rope. Sky straight up catches. He might even get it in one well, game. You can you can play it like. I assume you're part of this as well. You don't have to tell me to change my mind. I'm just saying I'm playing it. Uh, all right. Okay. We saw one in 2013 from the great Clint Mackay. There was one in 2015. Stephen Finn off the final three deliveries of the innings. Callum, you're an expert in this category. A uh, hat trick. We will see a hat trick. Well, Sam, um, talking from experience, hat tricks are quite hard to come by. Um, so I'm going to leave this. I feel like it's a monumental achievement for a player. And I'm not sure we'll see it this time around. We'll see. I reckon what I will say, I'll flip it and say we'll see at least three players on a hat-trick, but no hat-trick. 
Oh, a tease. Okay. How's that? Oh, that's, oh, that's very good. Very impressive. Okay. And finally, okay. finally, uh, Ricky Ponting, as we said, is going to be over there uh, commentating. Um, he's with the Sky Sports team. The English, they've had a lot of uh, Ashes success in recent times, but they really like bringing up the 2005 Ashes series when they finally broke that enormous streak and Ricky Ponting was the captain there. So I'm thinking uh, they're going to bring it up at least once a match. What do you reckon? Once a match? They're going to bring up the 2005 Ashes series at least once a match. They'll, match, they'll show Ricky getting hit in the head by <laughs> Steve Harmison or the spray at Duncan Fletcher or the run out from Gary Pratt. There'll be something there just to rub it in a little bit. I'm sure Ricky will like to remind them that he also won like five Ashes series against yeah. him and scored a thousand runs every time. But but I reckon that yeah. 2005 series will get mentioned at least once. What do you reckon? Yeah, I'll play that. Um, yeah, they, they do like reminding Australians about that series, don't they? And, you know, I think there'll be obviously a lot of throw forward to next year's World Cup, but also the Ashes and... Yeah, as you say, they're going to take every opportunity to bring it up, so I'm going to play it at least once a match. Yeah, they seem to forget about the whitewashes and four nils and things like that, don't they? But I guess, you know, hey, it's their, it's their home soil. They can do what they like. Yeah, they'll dominate over there. Fair game, I'd say. Fair game. All right, Cal, thank you for your time again. Uh, and thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to be back next week to wrap up the first couple of games of the one-day series. But until then, go to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores and video of Australia's Qantas Tour of England. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.